She was one of, I think she's a big fan favorite, um, people who love the book. And um, she's a pretty be, big figure in the book. Yeah, she's, she's, yeah. I mean, she's, she's a pretty, yeah, pretty key character. She is. Um, I think one of the challenges with any television show is uh, what you want is for your characters to be in scenes together. Um, so one of our first kinds of departures uh -huh. from the book was to get all these guys closer together so that they could actually interact, um, including Maggie and Vic. And so I think that ultimately, if she is a larger role, it's because we just wanted to pull them all in. I'm glad to see Hi, Marcel from Kipkor, Germany. Uh, first of all, what attracted uh, the three of you to the script, and can you tell me something about the idea behind the book? Mm. So the elevator pitch on Nosferatu has always been, <laughs> um, it's about a man who has a car that runs on human souls instead of gasoline, which is actually sort of like the iceberg tip of the idea, and then there's actually this whole story underneath it, but that's, that's what sounds good, so. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so that's what it's about. <laughs> um, I keep telling everybody what attracted me to it was Vic and Charlie. I think they're great characters. They're both really rich, fascinating, endlessly, endlessly layered characters. Um, and so that's always what I'm looking for in a book. And they're awesome. So that's why I was excited about it. Um, I feel like... It was after I had a conversation with Jamie and, uh, and read a few of the scripts that I realized it wasn't just um, one thing, um, that, there were, that, that there were a lot of different aspects of the character um, and, and the world that drew me in. Um, I also feel like one of the real benefits of this experience was that all of the scripts, pretty much all of the scripts were written before we started shooting. Mm -hmm. And so there was an opportunity for us to know where our characters were going, not just where they were in that particular episode. And coming from uh, a lot of the experiences that I've had on television previous to this where that was not the case, I felt really excited about having the whole picture before we got in front of the cameras. Because it can be really challenging when you're building a character um, and then things change last minute or you get pages right before you start shooting, which is often the case in television. So I was really drawn into that aspect of it as well. And I, um, I only received a tiny little kind of storyline um, on the initial audition 
email and so I went to the source material Joe's book and I really fell in love with the book and the complexity of characters um, which I felt once I read some of the scripts and spoke to Jamie it was really transferred into the into the show and I think also uh, the, so there was the kind of the psychology of the characters and then also the multi-tiered um, metaphors and themes that existed within the story itself that I really loved. Yeah. I was wondering if people could talk about balancing the tone on the show, which I, I feel like does a really great job of sort of balancing the fantastical elements with real life drama. When people say good things about the show, I probably shouldn't be like, yes! <laughs> Is that okay? Like, yeah, if in, please, in, in yeah, press conferences? Anyone who can say yes, go for it. Just, yeah. Uh, yeah. But no, go on. I'm sorry. Oh, yes. <laughs> Did you have a question? Did you just want to say it was awesome? That's, a, that's how what we like. Because um, it can be tricky. A lot of you know film or TV, it's very tricky to balance fantastical elements with human drama that people can actually relate to. So I was curious. Well, I guess, A, in the book, how you approached it and how you all approached it, bringing this into uh, publishing. Well, in the, you know, years ago I wrote a story about Van Helsing for a collection. I was invited to write a story about Van Helsing, and the biggest problem was trying to figure out how to get him to America and put him on the East Coast. Because I knew if I said it in London, he'd be like running around in the fog saying, God save the Queen or some shit like that. <laughs> you know, and, and, and I always try to, you know, I do, I write a lot of fantasy, I write a lot of supernatural fiction, but I always try to anchor a story in in places I know, you know, I know New England, I know what it's like to raise kids there, I know what the roads are like and what work is like and how people, the kind of humor they have. And, and um, so, you know, for me, it's not, it's not about balancing, you know, family elements, say, versus the supernatural. It's if I can give you a family and a place that feels real, that, that we're on a granular level, then maybe you'll go along with me when I get to the part about the vampire and the ghost. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's part of the the what makes the show unique. Actually, is you know there is this really grounded family connection that Vic shares with her parents, and then there's this otherworldly territory that Max traverses and draws people into. And I think that's part of what makes it compelling to watch. I'm, I'm at, it's certainly what made it compelling to work on. Yeah. I haven't seen it, so I can't say yet what it makes it compelling to watch tonight. But um, but yeah, I feel like that's part of what is unique about it, right? That it that it straddles these two worlds, and that ultimately Vic and Charlie coming together is what kind of intertwines them in a way that's really compelling and magnetic. Mm -hmm. And they inform each other as well. I think, especially with my storyline, the lessons that I learned from each different world kind of allows certain other events to take place back in the family drama or in the battle with the supernatural. Um, yeah, the strength that she that she learns in each is used ultimately in both arenas. Yeah, and Vic really, I think, is the bridge between the two the worlds. Because mm -hmm. um, <laughs> um, she's, she's firmly got a foot in both. Yes. Um, I don't know how you feel about Charlie, but I feel like he's mostly in the other world. I find it a lot of fun when he comes into the real world. <laughs> um, in fact, it's world. funny, early on, and you may not even remember this, Zach, but I remember we were talking about Charlie, and you, you used the word invade. You said, I think he invades the real world. And um, I just love that word, so I'm going to say it again. <laughs> But it affected how I thought about the character, um, and I think that that's a really great way to put it. Um, 
Well, there's also thematically stuff in the story, for example, about what do we expect from our parents and how do you, you know, what do we owe our children, you know, in the sense of um, Vic is not really a kid anymore when the show starts. She's just stepping away from whatever the last, last little shadow of her childhood and is wrestling with, you know, is really seeing her parents in full as an adult for the first time. And it's a complicated picture. And then Charlie is also a kind of parent. And in some ways, you know, Charlie, Charlie has happy children. All of Charlie's children are happy, well-looked-after children. In a lot of ways, he's almost like, he's almost like a role model parent. In some ways. You know? <laughs> but yeah, I think I will say one more thing. So I just I really love that question. But I just what I loved about the book as well was that, uh, well, for me anyway, this was my perspective of it and what I connected to was that all of these things that existed in the supernatural world were like metaphors for what was going on in the real world. Like it was yeah. Charlie's story was about wounding and kind of uh, childhood trauma, and same thing was happening for Vic. And it just I don't know. It felt like it was it created these incredible discussions through a really accessible lens, which was kind of the supernatural, the horror, um, about really important things. So that's what I loved about it. And not being super familiar with the story, it seems to me that the character of Charlie Manx is a, is a uh, difficult, disturbing character mm. to play. Is that the case, and how do you feel about playing such a disturbing character? Um, yeah, like, disturbing sure but I think also compelling in in his own way too you know like people want to see that obviously I think if you look at the world we live in it's nice to be able to give people an outlet to plug into the kind of darkness that they're trying to escape from there you know in their in their world um, it's not my first time playing a dark character and uh, and so I had a certain amount of resistance to it when I was first offered the role um, but then I felt like for me, the physical transformation of playing the character and uh, and really being able to create something that I could disappear into was a huge part of it, actually. Um, and I felt like there were enough nuances and subtleties to the character, both in the book and also in how he was captured for the television series, that I just I didn't feel like it was only one thing. I felt like there was a lot of different levels and layers and. Those are the kind of characters that I'm always interested in. Where they fall on an ethical spectrum is less important to me than if they are complex in their own crafting, you know? And, and I think Jamie and obviously Joe from the source material um, were able to really achieve that with Charlie Mank. So there's humor there, too. I mean, there's, 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 he's not just one thing. He's disturbing, yes, but he's also funny in his absurdity. <laughs> and, in, and, in, and in, like... You know how he operates. He's like a, he's like a man out of time. Mm. And I think that's an interesting mm -hmm. aspect of him. Yeah, one of the first things that I said to Jamie and Kari, uh, again, Kari Scoglin, who directed the first two episodes of the show, um, one of the first things I said to them was, if we're gonna, if I'm gonna do this and we're gonna pull it off, then I really think we need to get Joel Harlow to do the uh, the special effects makeup. Joel and I have worked together a number of times on Star Trek, and um, obviously he's kind of the top of the top, and uh, I didn't realize he'd be available or interested, but he was both, and uh, and so that for me was the the 
origin of the transformation. And then Jamie and Kari and I, with Joel, started to kind of, I mean, Joel's like just a mad genius and was able to really create some looks and some ideas. And, you know, the first thing I think we identified was that we needed to create stages for the character. So that stage one is the most like me, and then stage five is the most extreme. So identifying the difference in each of those stages and then when those stages happen throughout the course of the story was sort of the map that we used to chart the progress of where the character goes. Um, and Joel really did that and then we gave him feedback and then he went and kind of modified certain things and we did makeup tests and you know, uh, separately I was working in my own way on the physical transformation. Um, extraordinary. The physicality of it and the vocal kind of transformation. And, and that was part of what really drew me into playing this role more than more than just about anything else was I, I had been looking for a way to really transform and this this gave me that. Um, yeah, and, and then the world, yeah, I mean the world is Andrew Jackness who's the production designer on the show who's incredible and his imagination and how he brought things to life that are very complicated. Like Christmas Land is a complicated place. Mm. You know, it, it exists on the page so opulently and so beautifully, but like, how do you make that for a TV show? And he did it. I mean, he really did. So there's a lot of stuff. I mean, you have the grounded world that Vic comes from, and then you have this kind of fantastical world that Charlie Banks inhabits. And it was a real playground for all of us, I think. You know? Yeah, you know, one of the things we talked about a lot in terms of makes and then the entire world was um, grounding it. So makes, in his more extreme looks, uh, we all kind of felt he's still a man. He looks different because pe men don't usually live to be 135. Um, but he's not turning into another creature. He's mm. still, he's always a man. Um, whether he's a young man or an old man or an extremely old man, um, he's a man from another time. You know, I, one of the things I talked about with Joe early on uh, in the book, uh, a meal is made out of Meg's teeth. And Joe was, we got on the phone and he was like, listen, the teeth aren't fangs. The teeth are bad because he's from the 19th century. They didn't right. have dental care. Right, it's 19th and, century dentistry. Yeah, so. Um, well, that was actually one of the changes that we made was that, like, through the process of designing the character, the teeth were, I remember that, like the first version of the makeup, like the younger teeth were better. Mm. And we were like, no, I think that they have to be bad the whole time. <laughs> so we actually made them a little bit more like yeah. ragged and like yes. uh, uh, pointy and sort of jagged. Yeah, they still get worse and worse. Yeah, they do get worse and worse. <laughs> I just crossed my mind. I bet his breath is terrible. Mm. <laughs> I bet Charlie's breath is just yeah, it's not good. Not good. <laughs> Could you guys talk a little bit about the process of adapting the source material to the television screen and how you guys go about that and the kind of partnership that develops when you do that, that kind of work? Sure. Um, I mean, I, for me, this is the first time I've ever done it. Uh, and it it's really about loving the source material. I think um, you can't adapt it. This is just me. I don't, think, I don't see how you could adapt anything that you don't love. Mm. Um, and so... That's the first thing is loving what you're doing. And then the next thing is, like I said, when you work in TV a lot, you start to, there are certain things, you need the characters to talk to each other. <laughs> so you want to try to get them in scenes together. Um, and I think that for me, as long as you stay honest to the characters of the story, 
Um, mm-hmm. there's, there's a little mm-hmm. bit of leeway in terms of where you put them or how old they are when we meet them um, or when they first kind of run into one another that, uh, that I, I, I think we still manage to honor the book even though we've changed a couple absolutely. of circumstances. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I read I when I read. That's how he feels. When I read, <laughs> no, when I when I read when I when I read Jamie's script for the first episode, I thought it was one of the you know one of the best scripts I'd ever read. You know that it was just it did so much. It just had such you just had such a subtle deft touch. There was you revealed so much about Vic's experience in life in a single page, just in the first you know first ten pages when we just first meet Vic. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought, I, I, I love this. I, I hope there's going to be more, you know. Um, so, and I do think, right, I mean, you know, it, one thing about an adaptation is there's more room for the characters to breathe. Because mm-hmm. even in a 700-page novel, you know, you can kind of only dip in. You kind of just, you know. But you, you can explore incident and experiences in a much bigger way in TV yeah. that you just can't do on the page. There are moments, I, I mean, Joe, Joe's such a concise writer sometimes. There's like there's a sentence, I'm forgetting the exact sentence, but it's about Vic's father's girlfriend. Um, and it's, it's a really short passage. And I remember reading that and being like, that could be a season. Um, because you get... I, what's wonderful about your writing is that I understood everything about that relationship in that paragraph, mm-hmm. uh, but I also felt like I could watch those people for longer than a, for, for longer than that. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so some of it is about for me also was about let's take this awesome little thing, um, and because we have more time, let's open it up a little bit and look at at this thing for a bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm a big fan of Hounds of Love. Oh, thanks. It is a great film. And my question is basically to everyone, with a film like Hounds of Love where there's great trauma and very disturbing in the household, is that one of the reasons why Ashley fit big so well? Because of roles like that and her ability to bring that reality to the situation. Well, I just informed Joe here about Hounds of Love. Yeah, I haven't seen the picture, so... He he just asked if I'd been here before, because it came to South by a couple years ago, but... um, But it sounds like a a family film. Yeah, so, you know, it's a rom-com or so. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But, I mean, roles like that, does that, you know, preparation, does it help with Vic playing roles like that? Um, I suppose so. I mean, I I feel like uh, Vicky... Which is in Hounds of Love and Vic. Um, it's quite a big Hounds of Love, really. It is. Um, uh, they're quite different characters. Uh, they're in psychology and so on. But um, I don't know. I, I think with any character, I still have a similar approach of trying to understand who they are as um, humans underneath everything that occurs to them and how different events impact them and so on. So. Um, I don't know if one sort of informed the other. It's just been, I go back to the basics of how I prepare for, for roles. And and like anything in life, I think everything informs the next thing that you do, essentially, because you learn different aspects. But um, yeah, Hounds of Love was definitely traumatic in its own right. And so was this, even though Hounds of Love was, uh, you know, very much a real world thing and this kind of employs different um, genres within it both were still traumatic in their own way it took me it took me a while to still separate from parts of of Vic um, 
post filming because they were close to me and so on. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Jamie, uh, I believe you've been quoted as saying that if every day was Christmas Day, children can become demonic. I think that that's a quote I might have stolen from Joe. Uh, I think uh, I think that to the earlier point, I believe that Charlie makes thinks that what he's doing is good for kids. I think that he loves children. I think that he is saving them. Uh, what kid wouldn't want to live in eternity in Christmas land? Um, but when every day is Christmas Day and unhappiness is against the law, you know, kids also do things if you don't give them kind of structure and guidance and make them do their homework and not give them candy every time they ask for candy. Their teeth go bad, they pull the wings off butterflies, they yeah. do all kinds of other things um, that I think if you don't have any kind of parental structure, um, they turn into demons. <laughs> uh, they also and physically turn into demons because their souls are being <laughs> yes. sucked from them and right. like fed into the car and into Manx who becomes vital uh, you know, in the exchange. So, I mean, you know, there's that part of it too. Um, and I think you have to understand as well, like the trauma that Charlie Manx experienced in his own childhood, you know, that there, that there was this incredible cycle of abuse, neglect, abandonment, um, that that he's reacting to and not processing as he gets older, and so it gets fed into you know there's there's a there's a very real psychological component to the evolution of Charlie Manx, um, and it's it's when unresolved trauma, uh, an unexamined um, <clears throat> psychological neglect um, it, it, it is kind of. It festers and it, and, it, and it has nowhere to go, you know, and so he becomes this like very, very demented, warped version of a wounded child himself. And that's who Charlie Banks is in the world and to these children that he does think he's trying to protect. But in reality, he's serving something much darker in himself that was, you know, perpetuated by people who should have been caring for him when he was younger. So it's, it's you know, it's it's very complex, actually, psychologically, and warped, and beautifully rendered first by Joe and then by Jamie, and, you know, in a lot of ways, a kind of, you know, deliciously demented landscape to explore. He had this vile childhood, you know, yeah, it's horrifying. He, in his mind, he's rescuing children, but I also think, to a certain degree, he's out to punish women. Yeah. He, he's, his, his, he felt he was not protected by his own mother, yeah. and so he's out there. To, he's, you know, mm -hmm. out there to have a little get-even time. Yeah. And and there's a really interesting, you know, some of it's in the book, but but in, I feel it's in the TV show in a much richer way. You know, there's some stuff in the show about about what men expect from women and from their wives and their mothers and what they expect from children and the behavior they see as positive as opposed to negative. And, and um, Charlie has ideas and standards that in some ways come from a different century and in some ways still, you know, still, still, still sort of still with us yeah. in a lot of ways. And it was interesting to me the way Jamie sort of teased that out over the course of the season. Because I kind of feel like that's there in the book, but maybe um, maybe not so, you know, so richly examined. Yeah, I mean, I think that Charlie um, idealizes motherhood. Yeah. And, uh, but no actual human mother could live and, up. Mm -hmm. is, mm -hmm. They're all bad. You know, I don't think that he's met one that he thinks is up to the task. Mm -hmm. 
um, which is why I think all of their children are fair game. Um, yeah, I don't know that there are parents that he thinks are good enough. Um, this question is probably going to be hard for Zach than for Ashley, but... Ozzy! Uh, <laughs> Hi! Um, the, um, uh, with your characters, finding parts of yourself within them, yeah. I guess. Um, you know, what were you able to find in yourselves to bring into those characters that maybe wasn't on the original <laughs> page or, or, or image? Yeah, Zach. <laughs> I mean, I just think, you know... Um, I, I don't know. I mean, my experience of, of being an actor is like that, that you have to find the love for your character, no matter how reprehensible that character may be. Um, and where can you, like, Winston, I've, again, I've played sort of evil, reprehensible characters before, but how do you trace it back to a point where, like, you can have, as, a, as an actor, you can have compassion for that character. I think that's so important, and I think that's such like the cornerstone of the foundation of building any character is where is the love, and uh, and then also the kind of love of who that character becomes. Like morally, of course, I don't really align with Charlie Manx in you know in my worldview or how I move through the world. But there is a kind of deliciousness in embodying a character that believes so much about what uh, what what he feels and how he sees things and uh, and then the other thing that was really delightful and fun to explore is like who is this person this 135 year old man like who is that in a modern contemporary world you know who drives this car and wears these clothes and that was really fun to explore and to play with but for me I just feel like it always no matter how dark or twisted a character is, you have to be able to understand the point at which you can have compassion for that character. And for me, that's in Max's childhood. Yeah, definitely. So, Ashley, can you Yeah, on absolutely. Um, I think it was interesting coming into the show. I mean, 18-year-old Vic in the book is quite different to the 18-year-old Vic that we meet in, in the show because we kind of need to give her a character arc in order for her to get to that place because we don't get to see, you know, six-year-old Vic and so on moving through that journey. Um, so I remember people kind of, Kari especially, wanting me to bring more of myself to the character um, instead of engaging so much with the, the tomboy Vic that we, we know and love in the book. Um, so I guess I started off more with myself and progressively through the season felt that... I actually, Ashley was changed through Vic's evolution. I think I learned a lot about, um, you know, one of the big lessons for me at the beginning of the show, I was definitely very empathy oriented and so is Vic, but it was really empowering to recognize that I can have empathy and hold people accountable. And that was only through Vic's um, journey that I learned that. So I think it's kind of a reciprocal thing. I bring myself to her and then she implants something of herself upon me as well. You talked about bringing the Wraith and the short way from the book to the screen. What that process was like? Um, sure. Uh, the the Wraith. I think. I think that our company owns more Wraiths probably now than, <laughs> um, than anybody else in the world. Um, we have two Wraiths, actual Wraiths, 
Um, and we also have a stunt wraith, um, which is made up of wraith parts that are tacked onto like, some kind of rock or something. Um, and uh, all of that is like awesome. I remember the first time, the first wraith that we got, we found I think in Canada, and I remember when it arrived, everybody, you know, it's just cool. It's an 80 year old car. It runs. It's awesome. Was it's, it yellow? It was yellow. It was we had to paint it black, which mm. we were all a little like, oh, this is an antique car, and here we go, because um, it's got to be black. It doesn't have the same. It's not the same visual banana color. Yeah. It looked like a bumblebee. Yeah, um, which was beautiful. Um, and actually, the second wave that we found, I think Laura Correa, our executive producer, is here. I think we found it in Rhode Island. No, in Massachusetts. No, Massachusetts. Um, was like a pale yellow and black. There's like a yellow thing with race. Um, mm. So we also had to ruin that. Um, <laughs> but they're a lot of fun. Uh, Zach's the one who drives them. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's a really... It's an essential part of the character, and so I, you know... I went to Rhode Island uh, a few days before I started shooting and like worked with our driving team and coordinators to learn how to drive it. Uh, it's super cool. I mean, I love, I love, I, I was never a car person, but then driving this car, I understand why people are actually, yeah. you know, I, I was never like, oh yeah, I like cars, but it's pretty remarkable that it's a, you know, 1938 Rolls Royce and that it, it's a little temperamental. I mean, there were definitely times where it would get... <laughs> Which know, is why we got the second race. Yeah. <laughs> Time-saving. Because, yeah. you know, there's a lot of practical driving, and I think it's part of what gives the world right. of the show. It's not just green screen. Yeah. It's like we actually are out on the road, and they're able to do cool, um, you know, cool, like, camera mounts mm. on the car as mm. I'm driving it. And so I imagine that stuff probably adds a dimension to the world of the, of the show. Uh, I was wondering. Of course, we love things that we hear that are that are dark and scary and kind of, you know, awful. But I was wondering what's what's dark and scary in the world for you right now? Is it a book? Could it be a life events? Oh gosh. What is it that's scary? It's administration. I saw a thing online that said uh, um, it was a news story. It said there's been a, a garbage fire burning underground in Arkansas for seven months, and I. I tweeted something like, there's been a garbage fire burning in the White House for two years. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot that's scary about the world we live in today. Yeah. You know, it's uh, geopolitically, certainly, environmentally, certainly. Um, I think technology is approaching a tipping point of, um, uh, of scariness. You know, I mean, I think... Uh, I think there's huge shifts happening, and I think the more that... I, I, part of the reason why I like to be a part of stories that are a little bit darker is because it does give people a place to escape the things that they're struggling with or confronted with in their real lives. And I think there's actually value in that, having played a number of really dark characters and being associated with a number of really dark characters, like there is actually people are grateful for the opportunity to plug into something that doesn't have the stakes of reality that, you know, real world issues do. And so I think we're all aware of like the, um, the, the, the value of the story that we're telling here and like yeah. the fact that it's emotionally grounded but also gives people a place to go that's maybe a little bit of an escape, you know? I think people misunderstand horror very badly that, you know, a lot of bad horror happens, you know, because people think horror is when you turn a camera on and then throw entrails at the lens. Um, but that's not really scary, you know? Horror is not about about 
grossing people out, that can be fun, but it's not about, you know, well, ultimately horror, good horror is about empathy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about, about falling in love with some characters and then seeing them struggle against the worst, you know, faced with, faced with sort of these sort of worst case scenarios. Um, you know, and, and so good horror always wins you over with compassion, and I think that, you know, that people will find a lot of characters to fall in love with in the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so we have time for one more question, and then after that we'll move some of the chairs and do a quick photo. Um, is there anyone that hasn't asked a question yet? That wants to? No? Okay. Um, right um, uh, this is a question for Joe before I do everyone as well. In the book, and we see a bit in the first couple episodes, there's lots of allusions to more fantastical fiction from outside the universe, mm-hmm. right? As the Pennywise circus we see on the map and the Lovecraft illusion. So I'm just curious if it's important when you were writing it that you wanted to place it in this wider world of um, outside horrors and if that's something we're going to see throughout the show. So, well, it takes about three years to write a novel and I get bored, so I start moving off. <laughs> you know, so I start, I start sticking stuff in there because uh, it makes me laugh. Yeah. Do you, do you, will we see some more of those Easter eggs peppered throughout? I, I mean, I think if we go 15 seasons, we'll have to. Sooner, season 13 will be like about like you know some place that was mentioned and like. I yeah, I mean, one of the, the things. Acknowledgements. Yeah, uh, you got to right, yeah. and I think that it's it's such a fun part of the book. That's why you know we were wanted to embrace it. It's um, it's a little irreverent. It's a little bit. Um, <coughs> I just think it's a good time. So whenever we can throw something like that in, we're happy to. Do it. Go for it. Thank you guys so much. So if you guys don't mind just waiting one sec, I'll move yeah. some of the chairs and we'll do a quick photo. Thank you. Not a lot of room in here. No. Yeah, I was sitting here with you. I'm so 